0: How to Get Apologetics in Your Church, an Apologetics 315 ebook and podcast. Preaching to the Choir? Intentionally Apologetic Sermons by Tawa Anderson. Do you have the privilege and awe-full responsibility of preaching to the gathered people of God on Sunday mornings? Whether you preach every Sunday, most weeks, or occasionally, the burden you carry is immense. You are called to bring God's word to the people in the pew. You are commissioned to exhort and encourage, convict and comfort, pressure and empower. In many ways the role of the preacher is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. But let me ask you, who precisely are you preaching to on Sunday mornings? Who sits in your pews? As you study God's word and craft a message, who do you envision hearing and responding to the words you speak? Many theologians insist, quite correctly, that Sunday morning worship exists for the edification and growth of Christians, the gathered saints of God. Every congregation is diverse in many ways, age, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, but ideally our congregations ought also to be spiritually diverse, filled with not only Christians, but also atheists, agnostics, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, skeptics, or other assorted non-Christians. Whether they come reluctantly with a believing spouse, are dragged by their Christian parents, come willingly with Christian neighbors or friends, or even seek out the church in the midst of spiritual turmoil, my prayer is always that there would be some present who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. Even the theologians who insist that worship is only for Christians must agree, since they generally assert that evangelistic appeals are an integral part of Christian worship and preaching. If worship is only for Christians, why bother inviting non-existent non-Christians to respond positively to the gospel proclamation? What are such skeptics going to hear when you exposit the word of God. How is your message going to impact the hardened skeptic? On the one hand, unless the Holy Spirit illuminates the skeptic's heart and mind, it does not matter what you say, it'll have no impact. But on the other hand, this is no excuse for eschewing the hard work of biblical exegesis and contextualization. When Paul ascended Mars Hill to share the gospel with the Athenian elite, He framed the good news of Christ's atoning death and bodily resurrection in terms and contexts, comprehensible to their pagan worldview and background, even quoting Greek poets instead of Old Testament texts to introduce their need to know the one true God. The message and the truth did not change, but the way Paul presented it changed in accordance with his audience. Can you reach all of the people all the time? My dad always reminded me that you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. Similarly, in crafting a sermon and preparing to present God's word to our congregation, you cannot reach all of the people all of the time. The Apostle Paul sought to be all things to all people so that in all possible ways he might save some, 1 Corinthians 9. But he didn't try to be all things to all people at the same time. Rather, to the Jews, he became like a Jew in order to reach them. To the Gentiles, he became as a Gentile in order to reach them. Our message must be contextualized in order to reach the particular audience that we have. Unless you preach exclusively at the local humanist chapter, you can't make every sermon a purely apologetic appeal to skeptics to embrace the reasonability of our faith. Still, that's no reason to never preach with skeptics in mind. Are you preaching to the choir? It would have been far easier for the Apostle Paul to craft his sermons always with Bible-believing Jews in mind. They shared his monotheistic worldview, God is the almighty and all-just creator, his trust in the authority of the biblical text, and his expectation for a Messiah. But Paul didn't. Instead, he preached his apologetic message differently when addressing Gentiles. Have you ever considered how a skeptic or atheist or member of a different religion would respond to the sermon that you're about to preach or just preached? A key element to incorporating apologetics into your preaching ministry is to consciously engage non-believers in the pew. This does not come naturally or easily. It is far easier to preach to the choir, to craft and develop your sermon with the thoughts, challenges, needs, and troubles of the faithful, gathered saints in mind. As in most spiritual things, however, the easy way is not the way to maturity and godliness. Broad is the road and easy the path that leads to preaching to the choir and missing the skeptic. Small is the gate and narrow the road that reaches the seeking skeptics in your congregation. Have you walked a mile in the skeptic's shoes? While preaching to reach the skeptic, as well as the saved, is neither easy nor comfortable, it is relatively simple. Put yourself in his place. Ask yourself, if I had a blank, worldview, fill in the blank accordingly, naturalistic, Mormon, Muslim, agnostic, atheistic, New Age, postmodern, what questions would this passage, text, or topic raise? What doubts about Christianity would I have that directly impinge upon this message? For example, imagine that Easter is approaching, and you plan to preach on the grand resurrection narratives, Of 1 Corinthians 15. You could simply affirm the glorious truth that Jesus is indeed raised from the dead, and that death is conquered and contains no power over us. That in itself is a powerful sermon and needs preaching. But I would suggest that Easter Sunday is one of two times throughout the year that you are quite likely to have a large number of non believers amongst your congregation. If you put yourself in their shoes and consider how they might respond to the resurrection narratives, then there are numerous questions you can consider addressing. How do we know that Jesus truly rose from the dead? What are the historical evidences that support our resurrection faith? In a post-enlightenment world, how can we affirm that God raised a dead man to new life? Are such miracles possible? Or are they ruled out by a scientific mechanistic worldview? Was Paul's resurrection encounter the same as the other apostles or qualitatively different? On what basis do we trust the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection? If you preach through 1 Corinthians 15, proclaiming the wonderful good news that Jesus is raised from the dead, and that we have glorious assurance of our own victory over death through His, then I suggest that skeptics amongst your congregation are going to be profoundly unpersuaded and even disaffected. Obviously, you cannot address all of these questions in one or even a series of sermons. Furthermore, you would be remiss in your duties to only address apologetic questions about the historicity of the resurrection and never draw any implications from it. Nonetheless, if the Easter season comes and goes, and you never address any of the skeptical issues, I would argue that you've missed the boat the seeking skeptics in your congregation have not been given any tangible reason to believe the truth of the resurrection that you so confidently presuppose. Furthermore, any doubting disciples or besieged brothers in the church are not given reasons for the hope that they still, but more tentatively, hold. Remember, and see my earlier article, An Apologetic for Apologetics, that apologetics is not only for non-Christians. It also helps to confirm the truth of the faith for those within the body of Christ who have serious questions or doubts. The questions I mentioned above are not random questions. They are on the hearts and minds of people in the pew, Christian and non-Christian alike. The questions are raised by their own reading, reflection, and philosophizing. They are also forced upon them by the anti-Christian arguments of authors, teachers, and friends. Bottom line, the questions are there, and if they are never addressed from the pulpit, then questioners will eventually assume that there are no good answers to the questions. And again, note that Paul does not hesitate to supply such reasons to his audience. In 1 Corinthians 15, he begins with a presentation of evidence for the resurrection a creedal summary of what happened to Jesus, and a list of eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, including himself. If Paul eagerly shares evidence and reasons for the Corinthians to believe that Jesus was raised bodily from the dead, why would we avoid doing the same? So, my brothers and fellow preachers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy and grace, To walk a mile in the moccasins of the seeking skeptics, doubting disciples, and besieged believers in your pews, consider the questions they would raise, and seek to address them. Rather than preaching to the choir, intentionally incorporate apologetics into your sermons.